Greetings in Jesus' name. The one that we have heard the message from him this morning. I appreciate it, Alan, for uh, what you were able to share. Uh, one of the things that Alan did is a contrast between the Old and the New. Old and the New Testament. And there is a contrast. There's also, um, when I was uh, at work one time when someone was trying to persuade me of a flat Bible, he said, well, Jesus quoted out of Deuteronomy more than any other book in the Bible. Of course, he didn't have the New Testament. So so why do you think he went to the law and he quoted so much from the law? Maybe he was trying to persuade us that there isn't much change after all. But uh, we see the Lord Jesus initiating that new kingdom, the, uh, the new covenant. It's a little interesting because I'm actually going to have a message out of Deuteronomy this morning. So it's a little interesting to hear that. Because even though the covenant changes, people don't. People are people. The world over, from the beginning of time, and we live in a different age, we have different things to deal with in a different ways, but we're dealing with the same heart. Okay, let us just pause for a word of prayer. Lord, we are grateful to you that you have given us your word, that you have not left us, not left us in the dark, you have not left us as orphans, you have not left us for doom for destruction, but you have given us everything that we need to consist for the divine nature and unto holiness and righteousness. Just pray, Lord, that this morning you would give us a few nuggets of truth out of your word. I pray, Lord, that there may be some of us here who can benefit from your word here this morning, that it would make a difference and a change in their life. So, Lord, we look to you. You are to be glorified and honored and praised forever. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in, I think, the early 80s, there was a Jewish rabbi who wrote a book. I'm just going by memory. I know I read of this or heard of this a, long, a while ago, but he wrote a book. The title of the book you might recognize. Why do bad things happen to good people? Anybody recognize that title? Okay, I never read it, so maybe you know more about it than I do. But uh, the report of people who read it was that um, after a long discussion of various possibilities how to solve this dilemma, he arrives at the conclusion that God is just as horrified about the bad things that happen to you as what you are. And he would keep it from happening if he could. So he's saddened. He knows your pain. And he sympathizes with you, but he can't really do anything about it. And somehow the thought that there is a God who can sympathize with you but has no power to help you is supposed to be comforting somehow. Um, to some people. Is God in control? He is. So why do bad things happen to good people? Sin? Okay. Yes. For our benefit? Okay. That's probably where we're going to go this morning. Why is life so hard sometimes? I counseled a youth one time after a stirring message on the victory of the Christian life and living in victory and living in, you know, and he responded with, um, he 
he, to a large degree, was an undisciplined young man. And so he had issues in his life because of various things like that. And he thought, he wanted me to, he thought maybe this message, to respond to this message, I can turn a few dials, say a few right words or some kind of magic that would fix it. And he would be having this life that he heard about. Now he's a super Christian and sort of effortlessly sailing along. You know, we all desire an easy way, don't we? We all desire a shortcut. The shortest route. That's natural for us to desire that, but that is not God's route or route, Dave. That's not God's route, usually not. As he oversees and orchestrates our life, Isaiah says his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. He sees the big picture. He sees the very depths of our hearts, each one of our hearts. And based on those things, he plans our lives. And it's different than what we would plan it. Now maybe... As I was preparing this message and as, as the Lord was leading me down this, I realized one thing. I realized I've been in a frame of mind for a number of months now, okay? And I am finding that my messages tend to go a certain way. You know, and the burden of your heart. So I hope that if you feel this might be a semi-repeat of something I had before, well, please excuse me. But I realize I do probably will need to get a scripture, and let the Lord take me a different route. But this morning, this is where we're at. So let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8 for a scripture. That's my disclaimer this morning. Deuteronomy is, there's actually a series of three sermons that Moses is giving to the second generation of the children of Israel after they left Egypt. Deuteronomy, it was, they were almost ready to go into the promised land for real this time. And so he was reiterating, it was actually the second giving of the covenant. He was like he was bringing the second generation into the covenant of God and gives them the Ten Commandments and tells them a lot of things and gives their history. And, and so we'll break in here at verse 8. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do. This is Moses talking to the people. That ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in thine heart whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, doth, out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Do you see any, any references in here that you see in the New Testament yet? How many so far? Did you see any New Testament Passages that are in this chapter. Have you seen any of that? Anybody see him? <laughs> How many? Probably two. The uh, one in the, about the man does not live by bread alone, and as a man chastened his son. That's in Hebrews. Okay, verse 6. Therefore... Thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and fear him. 
For the Lord thy God bringeth thee unto a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills. For that was different than Egypt and the wilderness. A land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive, oil olive and honey. A land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, thou shalt not lack anything in it. A land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou may dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. You know, we are reading through the books of Moses in family devotions right now. And I and we, the family, are continually amazed at the plan God has For the Jewish people, starting with Abraham, how he called him out of the heathen land, out of the land of his fathers, takes him to the promised land, not the promised land, takes him to to a land that he didn't know. And then we have Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and the eventual settling of the children of Israel into Egypt. It's amazing. As you read that. And uh, we're going to throw that right down to Egypt. After Joseph died, there arose a king in Egypt who didn't know Joseph. And out of fear, out of fear because of the Israelites' growth, they began to oppress them. Began to try to keep them down. And they enslaved them. And God's people groaned because of their oppression. And the Bible says in Exodus 2, I'll just read a few verses. And it came in pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. And they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. And then we enter a key man, Moses. You know, we tend to look negatively at Moses. I thought maybe, uh, I thought maybe uh, Alan was going to do that this morning. You know, he was the giver of the law. He was the originer, uh, originator of the... Um, the old covenant, the covenant that failed and had to be replaced. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Well, if you read Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, Moses was a fantastic leader. He is a, a astonishing leader. He was a real man of God. So God calls Moses out of the desert and he uses him to confront Pharaoh and and then we had that reoccurring phrase let my people go and finally they went finally they went and where did they go where are they going well they're going to that land that was promised to Abraham And Isaac and Jacob, some 400 years ago, back when God told Abraham to lift up thine eyes and look from the place that thou art, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which thou seest, to thee I will give it, and to thy seed forever. So, here we go, promised land, here we come. That's what the children of Israel were doing. I'm a Christian now. I'm on my way to the promised land. I am on the way to a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths and springs out of the valleys and hills. I am to this land which is flowing with milk and honey. That's I'm a Christian. That's where I'm headed. That's where I'm going. A land where thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything. I am headed for the promised land. 
It's only a short journey from Egypt to the land of Canaan. According to my studies, it's about 250 miles. And there is a direct route going right from Goshen, right along the sea, right through the Philistines' land. And they could have been there in about a month. So, Goshen is here. If you head northeast along that main road, you could get right to the promised land in about a month. God takes them southeast, the wrong way. And so, the children of Israel, they're following Moses. And they know, they're, they're not dummies, they know where the promised land is. It's this way. They know their geography. I'm sure they had, I don't know what all they did, but I, they're not dummies. And then they go this way. God did not lead them on the main road. God did say if the people are faithful with battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Now, God had something else in mind besides the shortest route. What all did God have in mind, do you think? Can you name a few things that God may have had in mind? Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's somewhere in there. I'm not sure. I didn't contact. Okay. It wasn't time yet. Okay, I not thought of that one at all. Any others? Anything that had to do maybe more personally with them as a people? Very good. That's a vital part. Very vital part. They, God had in mind, they had in mind the promised land. God had in mind my people following my ways. Significantly different. What else? More time to get each of out of the hearts. That's the way to put it. I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's exactly right. Egypt was still in their hearts. And God knew it. He said, well, if they face battle, they might want to go back. He knew it was there. He knew it was there. So the people didn't see the full picture. I, I remember reading a Bible story somewhere years ago where there was a boy in the camp, something like that. I'm going to paraphrase. I don't remember much of it. But he hears an agitated conversation with some men in the camp of Israel. This is the Israelite camp. They're, they, they come out of Egypt. They're on their way. They're moving through. And he hears this agitated conversation. He goes to mom and says, Mom, what, what's going on? Why is people so stirred up? He said, well, he said, the people are, the men are saying that we're going the wrong way. We're supposed to be going this way, but we're going this way. And you can imagine, I don't know what the people thought at that time. I don't know. But they knew, if we go this way, there's provisions there. This is a populated area. We can get water. We can get food. We must go this way. And here, God takes them where? Into the desert. They are saying, this is the little boy, the mom talking to the little boy, they are saying we will never get to the promised land going this way. So if they thought promised land, here we come, and God had a bigger picture in mind, you can begin to see maybe some of why they also were responding negatively to some of the things that they began to experience. Going the way they thought they would go, they would have food and water. Going God's way deprived them of both. And sure enough, just as we thought, we were out of water. Why did you bring us out into the wilderness to die? 
another question I have for you. Could God have provided what they needed before they knew they needed it? Yeah, he could. He did that. He gave them a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Did they ask for it? No. He knew they needed that. They needed that guidance. He apparently kept their clothing from wearing out. And their feet didn't get blisters, swelling. So he gave them many things spontaneously. Out of the the love and the generosity and the grace of his heart, he just gave them what they didn't ask for. Just like he does us. But why didn't they have why did they have to go the long way? Doesn't God just want his people to be healthy and wealthy and happy? Eldon, are you wealthy, healthy, and happy? <laughs> Depending how you determine that, right? Okay. Depending how you how you qualify that. But why do we have so many troubles, temptations, and failures? To prove us? To test us? What does God see in my heart that I don't see? Across the yard here is a high school. I think if we walk out there, it take about two minutes to get there. Two minutes to get to that high school. You could be right on the high school grounds. How long will it take Carson to get through the high school? It will probably be another 18 years, 17, 18 years, if he would go to the high school until he finally graduates, that high school will be 17, 18 years. Before you can graduate high school, you can go on campus real quickly. But before you can graduate it, you have a whole life that follows, built upon lesson upon lesson. You need to learn how to talk and how to communicate and how to do your alphabets and your um, writing and your math and on and on it goes. You need to learn those things and finally you get up there and finally get through high school and then you go through a number of tests. Test. How does the teacher, how does the parent know what a child has learned? By setting up a calculated examination of what a child should know. Is that pretty close to a description of a test? Okay. A test in the assessment of a child's progress. How has he been applying himself to his lessons? How has he been integrating them? How has he been mastering them? The children of Israel were only a month's journey from the promised land. But God planned that they would go through a school and pass some tests first because Egypt was in their heart. So let's look at the first test. First test is in uh, Exodus chapter 14. And we'll get to the practical part of the message later. And starting at verse 10. So the Egyptians were coming after them. And they were at the Red Sea because they had gone the wrong way. They got themselves bound in here. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses... Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. How did they pass the first test? 
Not too good. Not too good. But God delivers them with a miraculous deliverance, and they saw the bodies of the Egyptians floating on the sea. It was evident right before their eyes that God can take care of them. Okay, let's go to the second test, which is in Exodus chapter 15. Starting at verse 21. Well, I'm going to start at verse 21 because they still had the song in their mouth of that delivery. And Miriam answered them saying, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Sir, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the water of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah, which means bitter. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which he had cast, which had he cast in the waters, the waters were made sweet. And therefore there he made a statute for them and an ordinance, and there he proved them. And then a little bit of a proving there that I won't get into. So we have a second test. They didn't do too well there either. Now, they did cry to Moses, but it seemed like their attitude was a little bit not where it could have been. Not a faith-filled attitude. Okay, Exodus 16, just around there, is the next test. And they took the journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after the departing of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by our flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So, and then the Lord says that he's going to, oh yeah, verse 4. And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. And that proving, some of that proving was specifically this. It was not only that the proving wasn't only that he didn't give them bread just to see what they would do, although that was some of it. But the proving was pick only enough for one day. Don't let any over. On the sixth day, pick enough for two days because you won't find any the seventh day. And he did that to prove them. Say, okay, I'm going to tell them this. I'm going to see how they respond to my direction. I know we had a children's lesson like that already somewhere. I remember someone just giving a simple command just to see if somebody listens. A simple command. Stand up. Uh, I remember... That doesn't come naturally. I remember um, at home, we had a, um, a kitchen and then we had a back room where sometimes was, as a sitting room, we called it a kama. A kuma or something like that. And I was walking from the kitchen towards it. My dad was sitting in it and he said, stop. Now, I was five, ten feet from the door and he told me to stop. It did not make sense. Stop. And I kept on walking to see why he wanted me to stop until my foot landed on the threshold that was freshly painted. Then I stopped. (laughs) To prove thee, will you listen to me? What does stop mean? Well, same thing happened. I haven't learned the lesson, I guess not, because the same thing happened. We have a van that has a backup sensing system. And when you put it in reverse, it's in the garage. The minivan is in the garage. It beeps a few times because it's close enough to the doors. And then you back out and it stops beeping. Well, I was backing out one time. It began to beep again. And it's not registering in my mind. I mean, it's so if I went beep and cronk. 
And here, Mike, uh, David was, we have a, two garages, uh, detached and attached, and they're not facing each other sideways. So he was backing out, and I was backing out, and we just backed into each other. Nobody was looking because nothing's there. But I uh, could have listened. Now, if that happens again, I think I'll listen. I think I will, but I'm not sure. Well, let me know how it happens next time. So, we learn from our failures and we grow. So, why don't the children of Israel? The fourth test is in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1. So, now they got, uh, they got through the Red Sea. They got water. The water was made sweet there. And then they got food. They got manna, got bread from heaven. And here we are. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of Zin. That's where they had been after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore, the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And then he tells them, um, yeah, I'm going to keep on reading here. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on therefore, go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river. Take in thy hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because the children of Israel, because of the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, "Is the Lord among us or not?" So four tests, and they didn't do too well in any of those tests, but they kept on going. They went to the uh, to Horeb, to Mount Sinai, rather. And they got the law, and then they kept on moving. And almost two years later, they were finally ready. Instead of one month, two years, they're ready to go into the promised land. And, of course, they had the whole thing about the spies. They got the evil report. It was a test. They failed the test. And, in fact, they flunked the whole thing. They are out of school. Though That generation is, is now done. You flunk. You're out of high school. You are no longer in school. They failed. In that case, they never graduated. The renowned theologian, theologian and revivalist Jonathan Edwards wrote in his journal that he desired to search out all the thoughts and desires of his heart to determine their origin. After a few days later, a few days after entering into this exercise, he again wrote in his journal. He said, I am beginning to discover the depth of the breadth of the depravity of the human heart. And he did it by looking in his own heart. Now, if you would do, or if I would do what he did, what would we discover in our own heart? Have you ever done that? Most of us probably haven't. Apparently, neither did the children of Israel. And so, God had to discover their heart for them. That's what he did. He discovered their heart for them. And I say he was quite effective. He did a good job. He did. Now there's one major difference between them and us. It talks in Hebrew about God leading them by the hand out of Egypt. 
Then he tells them he puts his laws in our hearts. In, a, in essence, he is leading us by the heart. That's the difference between the covenants. Major difference. But he still leads and we still need to follow. That hasn't changed. But do we know our own heart? God does. Does God like everything he sees in my heart? Maybe I should ask the question, do you like everything you see in my heart? (laughs) But God loves us anyway. He is like the saying, he loves us the way we are, but he loves us too much to let us the way we are. So he sees the bigger thing. His plan is bigger. His plan is better than our own puny plans or ideas that we have for ourselves. So he takes the long road home with each one of us. If we fail the test, he gives it again. If we fail it again, he gives it again. Children, don't you just love a teacher like that? That's actually the meaning of God's patience. He is patient with me. That when I fail the test, he gives it again. Now that's a part of the patience that we might not like. But that is true patience. He slows down, goes at the rate we go, and gives the test again. So far, I just described God's view on how he deals with people. And to us, it seems hard, very hard. And sometimes it's actually excruciating, the things that we experience, that we do not want to experience. We would never have chosen them. And you can put yourself, I know each one of you have ideas and things in your mind. There are things in your life you would change if you could. You would not have chosen it. And maybe even now you don't even know what to do with it. But God's purpose is right and true with the desire that we be cut off from other things and vitally connected with him. Just like we want Egypt out of our heart. I'm just going to use a few areas to illustrate this. And a common theme is, it's in the scripture where it says, this is the will of God. And I just took it, this is an arbitrary examples that I'm taking, okay? But I think they're going to be relevant to us. So, but it's, there's a few different places scripture says, for this is the will of God. So we know it's the will of God, so let's look at a few of those areas. You can turn to First Thessalonians chapter 4. And I'm going to pick a few areas that might be very hard for some of us, probably most of us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 2 to 5. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, is Apostle Paul talking. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even at the Gentiles, which know not God. So what is the will of God? That we be pure in heart in a very specific way. Sexual purity in thought, in word, and in deed. We would love to just rush on to the promised land with ease. But God takes us on a detour, and sometimes a very difficult detour. We need, this is the will of God. 
This is the will of God. And God wants us to have this. Don't do this. And so, he gives us test. Now, the lust of concupiscence simply means desiring forbidden things, and in this case, anything forbidden of a sexual or sensual nature. Now, the Gentiles who do not know God, you would expect them that they would do that. It says that the Gentiles who know not God, they do that. And you expect them to do that. And they do. And they flaunt it. And they add to the level of testing for God's people. They do that. So, how do you pass the test? Primarily, probably speaking to one side of the room here. I don't know how it applies to the other. But how do you pass the test when you go into a business place and there are these calendars or pictures on the wall? A test. It's a test. Is Egypt out of your heart? Is the love of God there? Do you love God more than anything else? Or a chance to view inappropriate material? You know, you can fail and you can repent. I can fail and I can repent. But it is a test that God consistently wants us to pass. You know, so many times I wish when somebody was struggling in this area, I wish I could just tell them, I know a shortcut to the promised land. I wish I could tell them that. I don't have that shortcut. I do not know that shortcut. It's many times a wilderness journey. But what happens when you go through that testing? Something is happening in your heart. Something good is happening in your heart. God brings you low. He realizes, you realize you're not as strong as you thought you were. You're not as big as you thought you were. You have more needs in your life than you realize you had. You need God worse than you ever recognized that you did. And that whole thing of seeking or um, hunt, thirsting, what's that word? Hunting, not hunting. <laughs> Hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Good things can happen in very bad situations. Would I have chosen that route? Absolutely not. God did choose it for us. We are tested and tried and humbled. Humbled because we're not sufficient in ourselves. Humbled because we're not as big and strong and spiritual as we thought we were. Humbled because those other wicked people who do this stuff are not so far away from us as we thought they were. You know, King David was such a man when he judged himself when that prophet Nathan came to him and gave him this story, and Nathan, I mean David, rightly judged that story, and in doing so, completely judged himself. And we can do the same thing. He said... David said in Psalms 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. If you would have a shortcut to the promised land, if we would have a shortcut to the promised land, would you have a broken and a contrite heart? Probably not. It doesn't come that way. It doesn't come that easy to us. Now, steps must be taken to protect and guard us from these things, just like a fence on the top of a cliff is very good. But the test must be passed in everyday life, in our day-to-day life, again and again. This is the will of God that you should know how to keep your vessel in sanctification.
Now, the Bible says that we should resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Does God ever say you should resist fornication? What does he say about fornication? What's the word he uses? Flee. Flee. He doesn't say you flee the devil. He says resist him. But God never says to resist fornication. You need to flee it. There's only one thing to do with that kind of thing. Impurity. Vulgarity. Does it mean that this temptation is stronger than the devil? I don't know. I don't have all those answers. But God tells us to flee it. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Every word, including the word flee. Flee. So my dad told me to stop, and I didn't stop. God tells us to flee. That means to flee. It really does. Now, God is not sitting beside you, sorry about your struggle, not able to do anything about it. (laughs) He is able to help. Actually, part of that is a test. Will you actually be honest with yourself? Will you be honest with God? Will you be honest with other people? Will you confess it and seek true help? Will you be honest and humble? The title of this message, I didn't think I'd give it yet, is Tested, um, let me see what it is. Tested, tried, and humbled. Obviously, God wants us to come to the place where we are tested, tried, and true. Which is where that title came off of. Okay, that's one area where God sees in our hearts. And there's no shortcut. That's a wilderness road. What else does God see in our hearts? Now, this is for all of us. Bad circumstances. Isn't that how God tested the children of Israel? Put them in a situation that was a bad situation. And in this test, they failed... They failed when they responded to God in unbelief. They said, is God with us or not? If God is here, we surely wouldn't be in this circumstance. And that's unbelief of of God's people. So they grumbled and they complained and they bellyached. Oh, those onions, those garlics, those melons. All those things that they remembered that was still in their heart. He said, we sat beside our barbecue grills and we had steaks in Egypt. That's the modern version. And here we just have bread. Well, let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm just going to read a few verses right in the middle here, starting at verse 16. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And a paraphrase of that is, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Now seriously, is that God's will? If you thought the prior test was hard, what about this one? Of course we're joyful. We just left the promised land. We're headed, we just left Egypt and we're headed to the promised land. We left our slavery. The future is bright and we're headed to the promised land. And then we head this way. And our circumstances change. And God says, rejoice. Pray and thanks in all situations. Well, how are you doing? 
Are you failing? Do you get a D? Or are you a straight-A student? You know, this test has to do intensely with our relationship with God and our faith in, of his care and death to ourself. I read of a story one time of this was probably, I think it was north in the north country in Alaska when they had that gold rush. And they took the dogs up there and it was a very rough country. This one master trained his dog this way. He'd buy a new dog. The dogs were wild. What he would do is he would let the dog loose and the dog would usually come at him. And he'd have a club and he'd knock the dog down. And the dog would come at him again. He had knock him down. And he would then finish by beating that dog until he was really beaten up. And after the dog was just laying there, he'd go up with his foot and just nudge it. If that dog responded with a, he would do another beating. He'd do that until he would do that with the dog, and the dog wouldn't respond anymore. That's how he trained him. That dog, from that time on, knew who the master was. He knew his place. The dog knew his place, and he knew the master. Now, this was obviously not a love-love relationship. This was a master-slave relationship. But it was effective. It worked. Aren't you glad God isn't like that? Yes, he gives us tests. Sometimes it feels like that, but God is not like that. He disciplines his children so that they may be like him. But the pattern of the children of Israel was when they got into a difficult situation, they grumbled and complained and bellyached. Rather than what we've heard here, what is the will of God? It is the will of God that you rejoice that you pray, and that you give thanks. It's clear in the scripture, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, here is some words. And of course, the children of Israel was Moses' fault because it took in the roundabout way. But we have lots of ways to find fault too, don't we? This circumstance is this way because of that. That's why it's that way. I don't have to be thankful. I can't rejoice because of that. I'm not an A-plus student, by the way, (laughs) or a straight-A student. So what happens when my heart is not in a place of faith and trust in God, when my ear is not tuned to listen to his voice and commands, and trials come? Or should we call them tests? We have been in school. We have been learning. Now God says it's time for a test. And here comes the test. So you arrive at school and unannounced on your desk is a test. You weren't expecting it. You didn't know it was coming. There it is. Unplanned from our perspective. Okay, always be joyful. I am so glad here to test, and you're facing the test, and you've got to go through this test, and it's a hard one. Lord, I'm so glad you saved me. Look at all the blessings you give me. Here we have a difficult situation, but look at all the blessings you give me. None of it is mine, but you have given to me as a gift. I should be dead today. If it would not have been your care, I would have died before I was a Christian, and I would be in hell. I'd be lost, separated from you forever. But here I am. 
I am an adopted child of God. I am on my way to the promised land. You are my father. You will take care of me. So I am joyful, even though I am facing this test. Never stop praying. Lord, this test is painfully hard. Lord, this is the hardest test I've ever took. Lord, this test is 12 pages long. The longest test I had before was only 8 pages long. Lord, please help me check the panic that is starting to rise in my heart. Lord, help me. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. Lord, I am glad I am in your school. Many people are not in your school. And they don't have the opportunity to have a teacher like you are a teacher. And we all know that education and learning in teaching people, it's better. And you are teaching me the eternal lessons of life. I have this difficult test because I want to be in your school. And the alternative of not being in your school is unthinkable. Lord, I am thankful for this test because it means you love me and are serious in in desiring to help me learn. Thank you, Lord. Is that a possible way we can face our circumstances? Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Surely there is a way. How do we pass the test in this area? Test, test, test. How are you doing? How am I doing? And then we can ask the question, was Jesus tested? He was. He went through the test and we could, I think we have time, we can turn to Matthew chapter 4. Let's just read where Jesus was tested. This is just before he gave the Sermon on the Mount that we read about this morning. And every every one of the responses that he gave to the devil was out of Deuteronomy, in case you wondered. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And that other word for that word is tested. I want to put something in here. Who, who led him into the wilderness? The Spirit did. Why didn't he take the shortest way? I mean, he got the baptism. Now he's ready for ministry. And God took him through a detour. You see a parallel here? He needed to face those tests. A detour in the wilderness. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give thee his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hand they shall bear thee up lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Jesus said again unto him, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up to an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. 
Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Jesus said later, after he said, I always, he said later on, I always do the will of my Father that is in heaven. I always do his will. The temptation here was many varied, but one of them was to not do his Father's will. If he would have given in, he could have not said, I always do my Father's will. The test was to bypass the cross. Jesus knew he came to go to the cross. That was the hard way. And the devil said, I will give you a shortcut. You can have the kingdoms of this world. You can have it. I'll help you run them. If you just do this, you don't have to go through that cross. You can rule and power now. But Jesus passed the test. You know, that test came later on. When Peter told him, when Jesus told him he's going to go to the cross, he told the disciples that, and Peter said, no, no, no way, you're not going to do that. And what did Jesus say? The same temptation, said, get thee behind me, Satan. To try to take him away from the cross was something that he knew he had to go that way. And so in Hebrews 4, I have a few verses here. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin, because he did not fail. Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And here is the answer for us in our test. I know it goes beyond that, but this is the core. The Lord Jesus, that connection with him, he passed every test. He was a A A-plus student. He really was. But he faced them, and he knows it. The difference between him and the book that that rabbi wrote is that he can do something about it. Jesus, our forerunner, has opened the way for us. There is a way in the wilderness. We have more than bread. We have every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Do you ever graduate from this school? Do you ever enter into a land that is flowing with milk and honey, that has brooks and waters and hills that you can dig brass and where you have no scarcity? That might be a Sunday afternoon discussion, okay? Frank Reed was here yesterday morning. He said at 70 years of of age, the Lord still works brokenness in his heart. He still has tests. Now, I believe it is God's will that there is a level of victory. Maybe we're not all class A, I mean class A, all straight A students, okay? Maybe we're not. Maybe we're B's, maybe we're C's. God does not want anyone in this room to be an F. He does not want any one of us to fail. There is a way to, to succeed, and God will see you to it. That it happens. Do not respond like the children of Israel did. Okay, well, let's just pause again for a little word of prayer. Lord, we look to you. We are thankful for so many of the blessings that we have. And this morning, we even cautiously thank you for the trials and the tests that you give to us. Thank you, Lord, because we know you love us. And, Lord, we trust you that you know what we're doing, even when we do not see the end. We actually don't know how many pages the test hold. We do not know where the end is. 
But we thank you that you are in charge. You are our teacher. So, Lord, each one of us, help us, Lord, to be joyful, to be thankful, and to pray always as your will is for us. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.